0: you had the chance to be around any two-year-olds lately? Other than the word no, what is a two-year-old's favorite word? Little, I've, I've heard different things. I heard, I've heard why in the other services. My contention is that's more of a five-year-old question. The word you hear, yes. Mine. Right? My toy. That's my blanket. That's my dollhouse. And of course... None of it is really theirs, right? A two-year-old didn't, like, earn any of that stuff unless their parents or somebody else had given it to them. It wouldn't be theirs. It's a total illusion. And yet, if you've ever tried to talk to a two-year-old about it, they believe 100% completely that it is theirs. Now, of course, only two-year-olds could be that foolish, right? Us mature adults. We never get stuck into that kind of mine mentality. I got to confess to you, I still have a lot of two-year-old in me. And I wonder if you do too. And really, that's the basis for this series. We're starting 2013 with a seven-week series called Whole. The word whole has two basic meanings. And we actually chose that word for the title of this series because of both meanings. The first meaning that we're all familiar with, whole just means all of something, right? The whole thing, not a part, not a section, the whole of it. But there's another meaning of whole, and that time, sometimes whole is used to describe a healthy person. When I am physically, mentally, and emotionally sound, I am a whole person, right? Right now, I am not whole, as you can see. But wholeness means everything's functioning in my life. How it should be. And I want you to hear this. Part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear us say that all the time. The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, we have limited what the gospel means to the forgiveness of sin. And that is a part of the gospel. But the good news is so much greater and grander and more wonderful than that. And part of the gospel of Christ, part of the reason He came is so that we could experience that kind of wholeness in our lives. We just did a series last year in the Gospel of John, and we heard Jesus say these words, I have come that they may have what? Life. I didn't just come to die on the cross so that your sins would be forgiven. I have come that they may have life and have it, not just any old normal blah life, have life to the full. Abundant life. Life is what Jesus wants for us as his disciples. But here's the thing, and this is what this series is going to address. If you're following on your notes, in order to be whole, we must first give the Lord our whole lives. See what I did there? That's good. In order to be whole, we must first give the Lord our whole lives. In my opinion, there is a disease In American Christianity right now, that concerns me, and I believe more than anything else, this is what causes people to lose out on this gift Jesus is offering of a whole kind of life. You hear us say at our church here, we are declaring war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves, and in my opinion, I think the issue we're dealing with in this series is the most fundamental issue we need to declare war on if we hope to mature and grow in Christ. Here's the issue. We have made the fatal mistake today of separating our spiritual lives from the rest of our lives. We have created categories that quite honestly do not exist in the Bible. We say things like sacred and secular. Everything is sacred. Everything is sacred. I think I've shared this picture before, but I I honestly believe this is what... Probably most Christians in the United States walk around thinking when they think about their life. My life is like a pie, kind of. And I have all these different things that are involved in my life, and each of those things deserves a separate section of pie, right? I mean, that pie could have had millions of slices, but we've broken it down into things like I've got my body, time, money, marriage, job, kids. Those all are separate. And over there, I give one slice of my life to the Lord. I come to church... The average American one to two times a month. Maybe I'm in a life group. Maybe I serve every once in a while, but stay there. The rest of my life belongs to me, Lord. And yet, the Bible says this is really the picture we should be carrying around. What does Lord mean? It means He is King, He is sovereign, He rules. And so when you and I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, what are we saying? We're saying He rules my whole life. Every single area of my life belongs to Him. The word we use to describe this around here, if you've been around here for a number of years, is that we are stewards. Stewards. We are stewards of all that God has given us. I know that's not a word we use much anymore today, but a steward is simply someone who looks after the property of another one. Right? We steward something because a steward realizes, unlike a two-year-old, nothing that they have actually belongs to them in the first place. A steward says, everything I have is simply on loan to me from the Lord. This includes some of the things this series is going to address. Things like our bodies. Our time. Our money. Our kids. Our spouses. Now obviously there's so many other things we could have addressed in this series. But the Bible is clear about this. Listen, if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian here, you don't have to worry about any of this. That's good. But listen, if you say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple. Then everything, if you're on your notes everything we have and are belongs to the lord everything we have and are belongs to the lord now most of us probably grew up in the united states of america and we are taught to believe that we are self-made that what's ours is ours what i what i earn i deserve right and that's part of what makes capitalism great (laughs) But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus says it couldn't be more different for you if you're one of his disciples. Everything you have is now mine. Everything you own is now mine. I'm simply loaning it back to you. And I'm asking you, my expectation of you is that you will be the steward of the things that I have given to you Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Let's read it out loud on our notes. He says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's the question this whole series is going to ask. Am I proving faithful with the things the Lord has entrusted to me? Am I being the kind of steward he's asking me to be? Now this morning, I'm simply going to lay the groundwork for the rest of this series by sharing a parable that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 25 in order to help us understand what does it really mean to be a steward? What would it look like for me to trust God with my whole life? My contention is that God's not trying to withhold from us. He's actually trying to give us the secret to wholeness. So if you would, 2013 will not be any different than 2012. Take your Bibles, open them up to God's Word. We want to be first handers here of God's Word. So find Matthew 25 if you're getting used to where things are in your Bible. That's okay, it's about four-fifths of the way back. Uh, In the New Testament, first book of the New Testament. So if you hit like Mark or Luke, you've gone too far. You need to go back to the left. If you didn't bring a Bible, we say this every week. We provide Bibles in the seat in front of you. I encourage you to follow along with this story. And if you don't own a Bible, let that be a gift to you. We want you to take that home and bring it back with you. But we're looking at Matthew 25, starting in verse 14 together. As you're turning there, let's just pray if you don't mind. Lord, I've said it once, I'm going to say it again. I have a lot of two-year-old in me. And I need this series. I need this reminder that you are the one who has given me everything I am and everything I have. And your expectation for my life, if I claim you as Lord, is that I will steward those things. So Lord, I pray in advance for these seven weeks, starting today, open our hearts and minds to see what it would look like what it would look like to trust you with our whole lives so that we could experience the kind of wholeness Jesus came to offer. We pray this together with expectation. Amen. In Matthew 25, just we have to understand this, Jesus is in the middle of telling three parables. We're looking at the second of the three parables where he is In all three parables, preparing his disciples, not only for his departure, but for his return. He's saying, there's going to be a day where I'm going to come back again. And so here's what I want you to know. Uh, This is how your life should kind of be before I return, okay? Now, just to warn you, you probably already know this if you've ever studied parables. But don't understand that when you study a parable, there's not always going to be a direct one-to-one comparison going on, right? Parables are stories that Jesus used in order to make a point. And so sometimes what happens is we make the mistake of saying, well, this character in the parable completely 100% represents God or me or whatever. And so the mistake has been made in the very passage we're looking at this morning of saying the master in the story, all of that has to be God. Now, there's no doubt there's similarities But parables are just stories to get us thinking about a bigger point, and it's that bigger point we're going to be getting at today. So are you ready? Let's start by reading verse 14 out loud on our notes there. It says, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Pause. Very important before we move on in this series. One more step. Who did the money belong to? I'm going to try that again because it's actually kind of an easy answer. I'm giving this one to you. Who does the money belong to, the master or the servant? The master. It's the master's money. The master is the owner. The servant is the steward. And friend, you will never get this stewardship thing right if we don't first get that whole thing settled in our minds, right? Right? I read a story this week about an elderly woman who was grocery shopping, she came out to her car, had her bags, and inside of her car were four men robbing her car. And so she drops her bags, she's scared, but she carries a handgun with her, pulls out the handgun and says, get out of my car. And these men are afraid, and so they bolt the scene, and so she's starting to try to calm down. She gets her grocery bags in the trunk, she sits down, she takes a few deep breaths, puts her key in the ignition, and nothing happens. tries again. What, what is the problem? And she looks three spaces down, and there's a car that looks eerily similar <laughs> to the one she's sitting in at that moment. She thought it was her car, but she actually robbed somebody else's. <laughs> the story ends, by the way, where she goes over to the police station just to kind of report what happened, and the guy starts laughing and points at the end of the bench, and there's four scared men. <laughs> filing a report against an old lady. <laughs> she thought it was her car, but it belonged to someone else. We never do that, do we? All this stuff. Like we, li- we live, let's just be honest, in an amazing country. We have stuff. Lots and lots of incredible, amazing stuff and opportunities, don't we? And it is really easy to begin to think, it's mine. The steward says, none of it's mine. It's been entrusted to me, but it belongs to someone else. Friends, if you're falling on your notes, do you understand? Ownership is a myth. Ownership is a myth, stewardship is the reality. Have you settled that once and for all in your heart? I own nothing. It's on loan to me from the Lord. I am simply his steward. Verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now a little background here. In those days there weren't big corporations like we have today where there's wealth all over the place. Basically wealth was limited to a few households and apparently in this parable, this is one of those households. Now, we will never understand the significance of this parable unless we understand the staggering amount of money that Jesus is referring to here. There's, it's impossible. I mean, you can try to say, like, this is what that amount of money would have meant today and try to do all the currency exchange and all that. But here's the best explanation I can give to you. One unit of the money Jesus is talking about would be the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages pre-tax today. So think about that. The guy who was given five bags of gold, how much money is he given? A hundred years worth of wages. Right there in his hand. One-time deal. Obviously, this is not something that anyone would ever expect to happen. And I'm sure uh, if I'm one of the servants and this happened to me, and this is the other key to understanding this parable, If this happened to me and we were one of the servants, I used to read this and go, well, what an incredible burden that must have been. No. They would have seen this as the most amazing privilege and opportunity. You know why? You know what it's saying? It's saying my master believes in me. He trusts me enough to put this incredible amount of wealth into my hands. They would be thinking, I can't believe the opportunity he's given me here. It's the same for us today, and this is the heart of this series. If you're falling on your notes, as God's stewards, we've been entrusted with His resources. You've been given resources by Him, right? Whatever it is you have, God has given it to you confidently because He believes in you. He believes that you're going to steward what He's given you well. Now, I don't know about you. I've got to come back to this every single day of my life. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. I am just the steward. But what an incredible opportunity. What a privilege he's given us. Think of the things we have. Of course, I know I saw a lot of your faces when I read verse 15. We are all thinking, because we live in 21st century America, well, why did one of them get more than the other? Right? It's not fair. Why did he get five and he get two and he get one? But the text told us why, doesn't it? The master knows exactly what each one of his servants can handle. And listen, he does not want to burden them with something they can't handle. You know what I call that? I don't call that unfairness. I call that grace. I call it grace. You know that God never demands from us things that we don't have, things that we can't do. He gives to each and every one of us he gives to each and every one of us exactly what we can handle exactly what we can steward he does however demand that whatever it is he's given us whether we think it's great or small because when we read that verse we do the natural thing which is the comparison game but whatever it is he's given us whether we think it's great or small he expects that we will invest it for his purposes i remember this came home to me when i was in college I had to work my way through college during the summer i had three jobs during school during school i worked too, and i would sit at church uh, at this awesome church i got to experience and i'd uh, i'd think about like when the offering plates were being passed around and i had my six dollars and 25 cent job and i was thinking does this even matter i mean this like won't even buy the coffee that people are drinking in the lobby afterwards right does do they even need this I'm missing the whole point at that point, right? If you're falling on your notes, God is not interested or expecting equal return. He's not expecting the same thing from every person. He's not expecting equal return, but equal effort. You've heard it said for those who have been given more, what? More will be required. But listen, we will all be held accountable. We will all be held accountable for what we've been given, whether it's great or small, because He's looking at our hearts. He's looking at what's inside there. Now look at verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. I love that. He went at once. Of course he did. What an amazing opportunity. He didn't want the master to change his mind. This guy's insane. He just gave me 100 years worth of wages. I better go now. And we see he puts it to great use. He makes the most of it. He understood immediately that these resources were not intended to just remain in his hands. He was supposed to use them and do something, invest them. There's no hesitation on his part. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. I mean, no wonder the master trusted these guys with so much, doubling their investment. I think they had like an insider tip to Apple back in the 1980s or something. Because they just doubled his investment. (coughs) Verse 18, But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now we don't learn later, until later, why he decides to do that. But let's just put it this way for now. The servant wanted nothing to do. Nothing to do with the responsibility he'd been given. So, he buries the money... Moves on, forgets about it, lives his life. Does that ever happen today? Do we ever bury the things God has so graciously given us? Not use them, move on. Use them for ourselves. If you're following, listen. Our job, our job is to make the most of what we've been given, not what the person next to you's been given. Our job is to make the most of what we've been given. And this servant didn't. He just didn't care. In verse 19, we come to the heart of the text. Let's read it out loud together on our notes. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. I mean, right there we learn he had an expectation that they were going to do something, right? He settled accounts. I gave you the money. What would you do with it? In a similar way, the Bible tells us, I hope you know this, one day, one day our master is going to return. And every single one of us who name Jesus Christ as Lord are going to stand before him and he is going to ask us this question. What did you do? What did you do with the stuff I entrusted to you? Paul wrote about it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now let me just clear up something. There are going to be two judgments. There's the first judgment that's called in Scripture the great white throne judgment, where God will ask one question and one question only. What did you do with my son? I sent him as a gift. Did you receive him? as the way, the truth, and the life. If so, enter. But then there's going to be a second judgment for all those who did receive Christ. It's called the Bema seed of Christ. It's what we see right there. We will all be judged. I know we don't like the sound of that word, judge, but we're all going to stand before the throne of God and he will ask us the question, what did you do with the one and only life I gave you? Did you steward it? Or did you waste it? If you're following on your notes there, we will all be asked, how did you invest your life for my glory? I mean, I gave you a body, I gave you time, I gave you money, I gave you a a family, possibly a job. I gave you spiritual gifts. I could go on and on and on. What did you do with the things that I've given you? How would you answer that today? Are you stewarding your life for His glory or are you burying it? Just living for yourself. Well, here's the good news. For those who get this stewardship thing right, there's an amazing reward waiting. It's my contention that the whole point of this parable is this right here. I think we read this and the immediate thought goes to the judgment, right? And thinking the bad things. God's like this strict taskmaster up in heaven. He can't wait to smush us and say, you did that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. I've got it all down here. The whole point of this parable that Jesus wants to get across is that God is the Lord of the reward. He wants nothing more than for us to get this right. He can't wait to celebrate with us when we steward the things he's given us well. Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Read verse 21 out loud with me. With enthusiasm, how about? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll continue. That was good, by the way. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Can you imagine someday hearing those words from the Lord? Well done. Well done, good and faithful steward. We all like it when we are affirmed, don't we? I mean, the little league player loves it when the coach yells, Nice hit. When you get that paper back from your professor that says well-written paper, A+++ plus plus. You get a little boost of confidence. I mean, we all enjoy when our talents are recognized by others. And for the Christian, for the Christian, when all is said and done, we should want more than anything else in this world. Our number one supreme ultimate desire should be striving after hearing these words from our Lord, well done well done and I hope what you hear this morning is that is exactly what he wants to say to you that is exactly what he wants to say to you that's why he gives us parables like this to understand our lives and how we can use them one of the things I love about these verses by the way uh, if you look again maybe even just on your notes there would you just circle those two little words it says he affirms them because they've been faithful with what uh few things that is hilarious this guy's been given a hundred years worth a hundred years worth of wages and Jesus calls it a pittance a pittance to compare to what awaits for them you ain't seen nothing yet right I mean it's a ridiculous amount of money but in light of eternity it's a few things what we've got here on earth is just a few things. A few things here and there. The adventure for them is just about to begin. The real adventure. If you're falling on your notes, a reward awaits those who used God's resources well. A little pause here for a minute. I'm talking about Heaven. What do you think of when I say heaven thinking about us strumming harps on clouds because if that's heaven I want nothing to do with it I don't even like harp music I don't know about you I'm sorry <laughs> is that what the Bible says heaven's going to be like that, that picture does not come from the Bible In fact, I'm just going to say something to you. I think one of the greatest lies that Satan could have us believe, and he's done a pretty good job of it, is that heaven is going to be boring. I mean, if that's my picture of heaven, why wouldn't I live it up here on earth? Thankfully, that is not what the Bible says. Heaven is going to be like, in fact... If we believe what the Bible says about heaven, then we should be filled with this unmistakable joy. We should not be able to wait to get there. Like Paul who said, I'd rather be there than here. You see, not only is heaven going to be a place of rest and relief from all the burdens we carry in this world. I know some of you need that right now, right? Just that. The idea of having these burdens lifted from us. Oh, that sounds great. But listen, it's also going to be a place where there's going to be learning, activity, the good kind of learning, by the way, not like school. Learning what you want to learn. Activity, unending joy, art. Great art, exploration, discovery. They're going to be deep friendships. I mean, I can't wait to sit around the campfire with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and <laughs> I'm serious. Think about everything good in this world and multiply it by a million and we get a tiny little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like and yet we don't think about it. I want you to hear Jesus' words. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is just a few things for what awaits you. Whatever heaven is going to be, it's not going to be boring. Amen? But here's the reality. The way that you use your life here on earth is going to determine your experience in heaven. The way I use my life here on earth is going to determine my experience in heaven. You see, God is watching the way we live here and now. And he does it through this little apprenticeship program that he set in place called stewardship. Maybe the best way for me to explain this to you, you've heard it said before, God is preparing a place for us. Jesus went to prepare a place for us. Have you heard that? You hear that at funerals a lot? The reason you hear that is true. It's in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's great. But if you're following on your notes there, Jesus is preparing a place for us and preparing us for that place. He is preparing us for that place. The choice we have, listen, you can either invest your life in the few things here on earth and enjoy a temporary reward or you can invest it into eternity where you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because I'm a killjoy. I don't want you to have any fun. You're supposed to be grumpy if you're a Christian. No. Because he knows where moth and vermin destroy. Nothing here is going to last. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven. He actually says we can do this. It's going to be awaiting those of us who've stewarded our life well, treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What we do with our lives here on earth is going to determine our experience in heaven. Now, I wish the parable ended right here, don't you? God is the Lord of the reward. Let's pray. But not everybody is going to receive that kind of affirmation. Look at verse 34. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, 24, came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your goal in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Well, we get the reason why. Finally, the servant decided to bury what he'd been given, right? What's the reason? He's afraid. He's afraid. And so he knew what was expected of him. He knew he was coming back to settle accounts, but instead of doing anything, he did nothing. He played it safe. He tried to protect himself. And in his response, we get to see straight into his heart, right? Does he take responsibility for his actions? <laughs> no. He blames the bastard. Well, I knew you were like this, and so I didn't want to get involved in that. I'm blaming you for the incredible opportunity you've given me. There. We never do that, of course, right? Why, God? Why does she have that and I don't? Why did you give me this to deal with right now? Why can't I be more like him? Why'd he get the promotion? The servant's response should reveal one thing to us. If you're falling on your notes, the servant, third servant, didn't really know or love his master. He didn't know him as the Lord of the reward. He didn't know him for who he really was. He neither knew him nor loved him. He wanted nothing to do with him. He wanted nothing to do with the opportunity he's been given. Maybe that's why he was only given one in the first place. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit at least with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I know that sounds harsh to us, but we would expect the exact same thing if it were our money, wouldn't we? I mean, think of it this way. If I have this chunk of money I'm going to give to my retirement investor, At the age of 20, and I say, I'm going to be coming back to settle accounts when I'm 65. And I show up, I'm ready to retire, and he he looks at me and says, oh yeah, here it is. I I kept it in the drawer for you. (laughs) What? I was counting on that. You were supposed to use that. That was never intended to just stay in your drawer. Or imagine, Randy Alcorn tells a great illustration of, imagine you have a package you need to deliver to a great friend. And so you call the FedEx driver over. He takes the package. But instead of delivering it to your friend, he takes it to his house and opens it up and uses it. You think, that guy doesn't get it, right? I mean, that's not your job. Your job to be the middleman. You take my package and deliver it to my friend. And God says, you're the middleman. You take what I've given you and you use it for my kingdom, for my glory. You invest in other people's lives. You invest in things that are going to last for eternity. This parable tells us, friends, that people are going to be punished who want nothing to do with God. Are you using your life even just a little bit to gain some interest? I mean, 1%? Money market? Money market account even? God's asking us to steward what he's given us. Or are you living completely for yourself and you've essentially just buried the gift that God has given you? Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they will, what they have will be taken from them. Now before we get all riled up again, because of the injustice of it all, understand this, this is actually justice. This is how we want it to be. This is natural law at work where we reap what we sow, right? We want that to be true. I reap what I sow. Think of it this way. If you invest your life into some music, like I'm going to learn the piano and you invest into that, you would expect that over time you're going to get better and better at piano, right? Or a sport. You invest in a sport. You invest your time, your money, your resources into a sport. You're going to expect a return from that. The only sport I found that not to be true with is golf. Art, same thing. It's like over and over. I mean, we want this. This is justice. And it's the same thing in our spiritual lives here. When we act faithfully with the responsibilities our master has given us, he looks at us and says, I can trust them with even more. Of course. I'm not going to give it to the one who I can't trust. I'm going to trust the one who has shown incredible responsibility. Yet if we do nothing with what God has given us, it will be taken away. It's called atrophy, right? I had somebody ask me a couple days ago, Have you been losing weight? I'm like, yeah, I can't do anything. And so all my muscle, whatever was there in the first place, is like, It's not the good kind of weight to lose. But because I'm not able to use my body in the way I'd like to, it atrophies. And in the same way, when we're not using what God has given us, eventually it'll just be buried. Here's the harsh reality. Throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a sobering part of this story. I mean, there's the good news that God is the Lord of the reward and he gives us this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but that accountability thing, I don't like that so much. And I think there's a belief in our world today that somehow, some way, we're going to be able to worm our way or charm our way or finesse our way past God, you know, at the throne, I'm going to be like, I know I didn't do what you wanted, but come on. You heard people say, well, I just know it's going to all work out in the end. Friends, there's one before whom we will all stand and he will ask you to settle accounts for everything he's given you and you will not be able to finesse your way out of that conversation. So how do we make sure we hear, well done, which is what he wants to say to you, instead of away from me? Well, it comes back to the very thing we're doing this whole series for, which is I've got to start seeing my entire life, my whole life, as belonging to the Lord. How long does a lifetime last in light of eternity here on earth? It's God. We are given one brief opportunity. What are we going to do with it? The great scene at the end of this movie where this general is firing up all his troops for the last battle... You know, like the pregame speech. He's got them all lined up. He's giving them the talk. And his last line is, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's equally true for us. What we do with our life will echo in eternity. If you're on your notes there, what we do with God has given us will echo in eternity. He has given all of us in this room amazing opportunities, incredible privileges. What are you doing with them? That is the heart of this series. Whole. Am I giving Him my whole life? As we close, here's the question. The question isn't so much, does God trust me? The question is, do I trust Christ enough to give Him my whole life? Your answer to that will echo in eternity. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at some very specific things God has placed in our hands that we are to steward. So, I hope you can join us for this series. Let's pray. Lord, I'm conscious of the fact that we are right now about to take communion, which for us as Christians is the ultimate reminder that when you ask us to give our whole lives, you're not asking us something you didn't do for us in the first place. You sent your very own son. Who gave all of himself, all of himself, so that we could be made whole. So we could have the forgiveness of sins, but that we could also have so much more life and life to the full. So, as we take this communion, when I think about the question we're asking in this series do I trust you? Let me look to the cross. And be reminded of why you are worthy of our trust. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.